for, thank the Lord for Sunday school this morning. Reynolds taught. If you missed it, you really missed something. I encourage you to be here for Sunday school. We're doing a study through the parables, and each one's like its own little sermon and own message, and they've been wonderful. Uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Job chapter 6. Job chapter 6. You're probably saying, oh, no. Is this a Job sermon? It really, uh, there are wonderful things from the book of Job. But this, honestly, I'm going to read a lot from Job, but the message is not, believe it or not, on Job and his trials as much as on the counsel and the counselors that were sent to him. So I want you to read with me, if you would, in Job chapter 6, verses 24 and 25. Job 6, 24. Teach me and I will hold my tongue. This is Job speaking. And cause me to understand wherein I have erred. That's going to be our main scripture for today. Job 6.24. How forcible are right words, but what doth, your, what doth your arguing reprove? And we know the story of Job. I say account of Job rather than a story. This is a real man. He was a contemporary of Abraham from what I understand. And uh, chronologically speaking, he would have lived at about the same time. But Almighty God was testing this man. And he was testing him uh, like few others that we know about. I don't know of any other in the Bible. You know, Christ, and I set him alone by himself. But the way he was tested uh, in the furnace of afflictions, the Lord, this was the Lord's doing. Amen. The Lord was allowing, and I would say under his direction and under his care and supervision, the Lord was allowing the devil, the adversary, to come against Job and to afflict him. He was allowing this. He had measured it out. He said, Satan, you can go this far and no further. But he was afflicting him. And Job, we understand uh, that that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. That's an old English word for shunned evil. He was perfect. doesn't mean he was sinless. He was perfect in his, his walk with God and his fellowship with the Lord. He acknowledged the Lord and walked with God and feared God. And he shunned evil. And he sought after the Lord in his heart and his life. And yet the Lord saw fit to test this man. And we might think that seems cruel. It seems unkind. But it wasn't at all unkind. It was the Lord's doing. And he'll address Job by the end of this, his trial, and set him straight. If we're to think anything uh, amiss about the Lord, if we're to put any blame on God, we're sinful men. We don't see it like God sees it. We don't understand like the Lord understands. We don't love like the Lord loves. We can't save like the Lord saves. We don't have the wisdom that God has. And so we're the potter and he is, I mean, we're the clay and he is the potter. And he has the right to do with us as he chooses, but he's not cruel. I always go back to this. Psalm 119, I think it's verse uh, 68. I'm not sure, but it says, Thou art good and doest good. And so that's a simple verse, but he's a good God, and what he does is good. So you can take that and apply that to anything. If he's dealing with Job right here, we see the backs. We're allowed to see behind the curtain, so to speak, and see that there's a day when this, these, you know, Satan comes and appears before the Lord, and the Lord says to him, Have you considered my servant Job? And there's none like him, and he fears me, and so forth. And the Lord allows Satan to test him. Satan was sure that he could get the man to fall. Fall morally, fall away from God, fall and, and throw in the towel, fall away from the faith that is, that is in the Lord. And he was sure that he could do it. 
and he failed. God kept him. God protected him. The Lord saw fit to test him. Why does the Lord test any of us? He tests our faith. He tests our faith that it may come through as pure gold. Refined how? In the fire. Refined in the furnace of affliction. That is God's choice. That is God's method. That is God's doing. But he doesn't just uh, put us in the fire and walk away and get occupied with something else. He is always at hand. He never puts on us more than we could bear or we wouldn't be able to bear it. We would be crushed. But he doesn't allow us to be crushed. And so the story, the, the, the message this morning, believe it or not, is not so much about Job and his trials, although that's many sermons can be preached on that. I want to talk this morning about his three friends. I think later a fourth joined them, but Job had three friends that when they heard of all the trouble and all the affliction that had come upon Job, and they knew him, he was a well-renowned man. He was blessed by the Lord. He was wealthy. He was uh, feared God. He was helpful to people and so forth. This was the life that he lived, and God allowed all this to come upon him. His three friends hear about it, and they said it appointed a day. They said, we're going to go meet with Job and, and see how he's doing and mourn with him. And I want you uh, just to read this in your Bibles. We're going to read a lot in Job, and in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Job 2, 12 and 13. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off, this is the friends coming. They're, they're closing in on Job where he is and knew him not. I think they didn't even recognize him in his physical ailment. Just everything about him was probably hurting and looked sick and sorrowful and weak and, and miserable. And this is not the guy they knew. Uh, it was the same man, but they didn't recognize him. They lifted up their voice and wept. And they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights. You ever, does this ever sink in? I mean, to really, they, they come and they find Job sitting on a pile of rubbish probably. He's been scraping the boils off of himself with broken pots of uh, pieces of pottery. All right? And his children have been taken. His Everything's uh, been taken from him. His possessions, his cattle, his camel, his servants have all been killed and so forth. And he's sitting there and his wife says, curse God and die. You know, why do you still maintain your integrity before the Lord? Obviously, he's abandoned you. Uh, and so his friends come and they have compassion on him. They do. They sat uh, on the ground seven days and seven nights and none spoke a word unto him. For they saw that his grief was very great. That had to really be some seven days and seven nights of sitting there. Amen. But this is what took place. And then Job speaks after these seven days and begins to, to uh, share the anguish of his soul, I guess you would say. And then these men began to speak from the oldest, spoke first. And the oldest was Eliphaz the Temanite. Okay. And Eliphaz begins to speak, and, and then one by one the men would speak, and Job would sort of answer back, and he would call upon the Lord, and his friends would talk to him. And this went on through the whole book of Job until God comes and clears the dust away and blows away the confusion and sets things straight, which he does at the end of this book. But uh, his friends begin to speak, and they begin to reason, and they begin to counsel they begin to uh, 
surmise, and they begin to offer up conjecture of why this is happening to Job. They talk about God. They talk about man in general. They say that Job must have been in horrible sin for this to happen because he's a holy God and men are sinful. They speak a lot of things that were, I guess you would say, factually correct, but they were dead wrong. They were dead wrong in their counsel. They were dead wrong in their judgment. They were dead wrong in their discernment. They were dead wrong when it came to Job's life. And I just want to read some of their uh, some of their words. We don't have time to go into all of them. The whole book is filled with this, but just I'll read them for you. This is Eliphaz, the Temanite, the oldest one. He begins to speak, and he says, Remember, I pray thee, he's telling Job this, and, and I'm sure his other friends, whoever perished being innocent, or, or where, where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity sow wickedness, and sow wickedness reap the same. Shall mortal, mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Uh, he goes on to say, I would seek unto God. Job, this is what I, I would call upon the Lord. I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. He goes on to say, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not the chastening of the Almighty. For he maketh sore, and he bindeth up. He woundeth, and his hands make whole. Lo, this we have searched. It is so. Uh, hear it, and know it. Know thou it for thy good. Now, I, I couldn't argue with anything that Eliphaz said here, that, that in the sense that he's speaking that, that God is just and holy, that men are sinful, that God takes care of the just and so forth. And I would seek to God, Job. I would seek after the Lord. And so you, it's hard to find fault in, in strictly uh, the factualness, I guess you would say, of what they were saying. They made true or factual statements about the holiness of God. All of his friends did. I just gave you a little sample. They spoke about the holiness of Almighty God, the sinfulness of man, but they did not speak rightly about Job. They did not speak rightly to Job in his trial. In all of their words, I'll tell you some things they did not do. They didn't correctly identify the reason for Job's trial. None of them. They all thought, for, to the man, they all thought it was because of some sinfulness on his part. Am I saying that Job was sinless? No. The Bible says he was, uh, he was perfect in, in his ways and walked uprightly before the Lord and shunned evil. And the Lord allowed, allowed him to be a poster child and say, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, I can get him to fall. And he, he did not. But the point is that they did not, none of his friends... And they were friends. They came to him. They mourned with him. But then they all had to speak their minds, so to speak. And they did not identify the reason for Job's affliction. They did not comfort Job. None of them comforted Job in his affliction. They didn't speak on God's behalf. It wasn't like they heard from the Lord and then spoke to Job. They did not convince or convict Job of any specific sin on his part. They threw a bunch of things out there. Oh, you've been rude to the, you haven't helped the fatherless and the widows. Well, Job had been a man that helped the fatherless and the widows. That they would throw things like out, this out to him. Certainly this is a result of your sin. And they did not convince or convict Job of any specific sin which resulted in this 
testing of the Lord. Okay? This is where they failed. And I want you to read with me in Job 16, 1 through 5. Job 16, 1 through 5. Then Job answered and said, this is he's replying to Eliphaz after he talked, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldeneth thee that thou answerest? I also could speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you, but I would strengthen you with my mouth. And the, mo the moving of my lips would assuage or, or dispel your grief. And so he's saying, look, I hear what you're saying. I know, I know everything you're telling me. You're not telling me anything about God I don't know and about men and man's sinfulness and the faithfulness of God and the sinfulness of man. You're not telling me anything I don't know. He says, you're miserable comforters. You're miserable comforters. Amen. I don't want to be a miserable comfort. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that. The Lord, and we're, I'm just jumping way ahead to the end of the story. When the Lord finally comes, things are straightened out. And the Lord comes and he says, and he specifically, after he dealt with Job, he's specifically going back and dealing with Eliphaz and these comforters. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't hate them. He's not, you know, sending them to hell. He's rebuking them, though. And I just want to read this myself from Job 42. It was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job has. Therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job is going to pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. Now, this was not a matter of opinion. This wasn't a, a matter of he said, she said. This isn't a matter of, well, Eliphaz really thought this, and, and, uh, and, and you know, Job really thought this. And it wasn't a matter of, of that. It was a matter of truth. It was a matter of God being God. And he knew exactly what was happening, why it was happening to Job, and he spoke it. They were conjecturing and throwing up different things. And, and trying to, to bring a condemnation upon Job that didn't stick. Not saying he was perfect and sinless. He needed a Savior. But none of their accusations stuck because they were not correct. They were not speaking on God's behalf to the man Job. Therefore, he wasn't reproved or corrected by this. And this is what we're talking about today. It was not a matter of opinion. Too much in, in Christian counsel and and everything else is a matter of opinion. It's a matter of feelings. And it ought not to be. It ought to be a matter of the truth from the Lord. Somebody's got to hear from God and then speak it. Amen. Sit still until you do hear from him. And then open your mouth. But it was a matter of, of him being hurt, hearing from the Lord. And we have to distinguish the voice of God from the voice of others. We have to know that voice of our good shepherd and distinguish it from every other word. And so, I'll say it again. Though these, man may, these men made true statements about 
God, you can't argue with the fact that uh, Eliphaz says, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Well, that is the truth, right? We're told that in Hebrews. We're told that in Proverbs. Don't despise. That's the true teaching. We could teach on that. But he was not speaking. There was all these peripheral things. It was all these things that were true facts, but none of it hit home with Job. None of it dealt with his life. None of it dealt with his circumstance or situation or his trial. Therefore, he was not comforted by any of it, even though it might have been much of it was factual. And so uh, these men were miserable comforters to Job. That's what he called them, miserable, miserable comforters. And our message this morning and what God has given us for this morning is the fact that we have a comforter, a true comforter, the Holy Ghost. We have a counselor. We have a good shepherd. We have the Lord who is counsels us rightly and governs us rightly and speaks to us rightly. We might not hear his voice all the time. Sometimes we have to be patient and wait, but he will speak to us. We seek unto him just as he did to Job. He spoke to him. But men, I would say even Christian men, okay, who know their Bibles, men and women, can speak and reason among themselves and, and speak to themselves and speak to others and, and give reasons for trials and remedies, and here's what you should do. You're in this situation. Here's what you should do. Uh, and we throw a lot of things out, but the only one that can truly convince a man of sin is the Holy Ghost. Only one that convict, can convict and convince a man of their sin and their wrongdoing is the Lord. The only man who can teach a man, only one who can teach a man or a woman the errors of his or her way is the Holy Spirit. The only one that can instruct a man how to be reconciled to God and how uh, to show a man how to, to live in a righteous life, in a righteous way, to show a man his own heart. The only one that can do that is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Comforter. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's not a force. He's not the Star Wars force. He's not the, the, the light side versus the, the dark side and so forth. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is the eternal spirit. Amen. He lives inside of every believer or you wouldn't be saved. We're born of the spirit. He comes in his fullness when we ask and pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We are filled uh, like uh, to overflowing and out of our belly flows rivers of living water. This is the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Ghost and the baptism in the, whole, in the Holy Ghost. But, and there are many gifts that come come from that, but one of the greatest is that we have this comforter. We have this counselor, this comforter. He is able, he is willing to convince men of sin, to counsel men, to show them the error of their way, to show them Christ, to lift up Jesus Christ, to point men to the Lord, to woo men and draw men with great wisdom to the Lord. He can and does speak through men and women. This is important that we know we, God does speak through, the, through people. So it's not that God could not have spoken through uh, Eliphaz and these other friends. It's, it's the fact that he was not speaking through them at this time. God does speak through people. The scriptures, the Bible say, were written. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by what? By who? By the Holy Ghost. Holy men of God that knew the Lord and walked with the Lord spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so God uses people. He definitely can use people as vessels, and he, he does use vessels of honor. He uses the saints of God to speak to lost people and to speak to other saints of God and to speak to our own hearts. You know, we have to counsel our own selves a lot of times, don't we? 
We might not, might not have a counselor. Maybe we just got miserable counselors around us. We can be encouraged by the Lord and counsel ourselves. But if the men that we're speaking to, including ourselves, are going to be convinced of sin, going to be taught of God, going to see themselves rightly and see Almighty God rightly, the Holy Ghost must do the work. It is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. We must rely upon Him. We must rely upon His power. We must rely upon His ability. And I think too often we go with our intelligence and our knowledge of Scriptures, whether we're teaching a Sunday school class, getting up here and opening in prayer, testifying of the Lord, whatever, counseling somebody. We need to be careful when we're counseling people. We need to be careful when we're speaking on God's behalf. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying live close to the Lord where you hear His voice. Live close, and, and if you don't have something to say, don't say anything. Don't just say, oh, it's kind of quiet. Somebody should say something. You know, we bl blurt something out. We're speaking on God's behalf. We need to speak uh, as He would lead us to. He does it. He'll do it, and it'll be right on time. He'll do it uh, sufficiently. He'll do it so much better than we ever can. But I want, to, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, and read in John chapter 16. I think all of our ver scriptures this morning are in Job and John. Uh, but John chapter 16, we know the passage well, but we'll read verses 7 and 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus is saying before he goes to the cross, it is expedient for you that I go away. That means profitable and it means necessary. So it's not just okay that I'm going away. You'll get by. You'll, we'll make do. Uh, it won't be so bad. He's actually telling them it's expedient for you that I go away. And he puts it in this context. We know he's going to the cross to die for our sins. But he adds this. For if I go not away, the, the comforter, not a miserable comforter, not Eliphaz the Timonite, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And I simply say, what, what a ministry. What a ministry the Holy Ghost has. What a ministry he has to lost men. And what a ministry he has to save men and women. What a blessing that the Holy Spirit is. I want to read this. I, I've quoted it before. It just is one of these uh, little paragraphs or thoughts that sticks with me through the years. It's from R.A. Torrey. And he says, if you wish men to see the truth about Jesus, do not depend upon your own powers of exposition and persuasion. But cast yourself upon the Holy Ghost and seek his, test, his testimony. If you wish yourself to know Jesus with the true and living knowledge, seek the witness of the Spirit through the Word. I must look in my helplessness to the mighty Spirit of God to convict this man of sin. So if you're witnessing to somebody or you're counseling somebody and they're, they're going through sin, but I mean going through trials or, or consequences of their sin and you're trying to deal with them and get them to see it. He says, I'm trying to convince this, convict this man of sin, but I'm trying to convince the man of sin myself. He says, you have to cast yourself upon the Spirit of God for him to do the work and conviction comes. You send men to the Word to get a knowledge of Christ, but only the Holy Spirit takes the Word and illuminates it. That, man, 
that men get a real living knowledge of Christ. The Bible says no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but how? By the Holy Ghost. Isn't that something? Nobody can really say. We can say the words. No man can say that Jesus Christ is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. We are dependent upon him. Unless your testimony is taken up by the Holy Ghost and he himself testifies, men will not believe. It was not merely Peter's word, words about Christ that convinced the Jews at Pentecost. It was the Spirit himself bearing witness. It is ours to preach the word and to look to the Holy Spirit to produce conviction. And that wonder, a simple truth. We know it's true, but how often we rush out and we, and we might try to persuade men and our own persuasiveness. I need to be able to talk really cool to the young people. You know, I'm going to preach a chapel for high schoolers, and i got to kind of be cool and hip for them. And then I'm going to college, and I would try to change it up somehow. And I'm not saying that God may not give you a special message for each group, but if anybody's gonna, anything's going to happen to anybody spiritually, and they're going to realize they're sinful and men in need of a Savior, or are backslidden, or whatever it may be, the Holy Ghost has to do it. I could be the best orator in the world. I can relate to you and, and know how to relate and what you're going through and all those kind of things. But the only thing that's going to change a man's life and make them say, I'm a sinner and he's a holy God, I need to go to him. I need to humble myself before him. Even for a Christian, it may be often in some short-term backsliding or long-term backsliding, it has to be the Holy Ghost that does the work. Amen? And we need to trust Him and believe Him to do it. So I want to go back to the verse that we opened with. Teach me, Job says. This is after Eliphaz talked. This is one of the first times he spoke. Teach me and I will hold my tongue. And cause me to understand wherein I have erred. How forcible are right words. But what doth your arguing reprove? Job was not reproved. Job, Job was not corrected. Job was not convicted. Job was not instructed by their arguments and words. He was not. And he wasn't trying to be rebellious. He says, teach me and I'll and show me. Show me where I've erred. I want you to genuinely show me why this has come upon me. You, you're just giving out words, but none of you are teaching me where I've erred. Cause me to understand. You know, uh, their arguing and their words did not bring any conviction to the man. God's going to in a little while. And God can send wonderful counselors. I think about God sending Nathan to David when he had sinned. It took the little story of the, of the, the man who had the one little sheep that he loved, right? And the rich man took the sheep and killed it and fed it to his traveling, uh, visiting friend that was come because he didn't want to take one of his own flock. Oh, it says David's wrath was kindled against this man and said, the man who did that is surely going to die. Nathan sent by God. The Lord sent Nathan. And the Lord gave him that little parable. And God gave him the ability. And it was by the Spirit of the Lord. He says, David, you're the man. And then he explains it to him. And what David was convicted by that. David was convinced of sin by that. David says, I have sinned. And God says, through, through Nathan, God has forgiven. He's put away your sin. You're not going to die. I mean, that's how quick that, that happened. But the Lord, Job was not convinced or convicted through, through these men at all. He felt no uh, conviction. It has to be the Holy Spirit, y'all. It has to be 
the Spirit of God. And Job's plea to his friends was simply, teach me, show me, please, somebody speak to me. Show me the truth. Show me about myself. Show me about my situation. He says, cause me to understand where I have erred. It's not enough for us, y'all. And I'm saying it because we're, we're trying to grow in the Lord. We are growing in the Lord, maturing in the Lord. The Lord is using us to teach. Everybody in here teaches practically or gets up here or shares or leads in a prayer meeting or teaches the children or leads the kids' choir. And we, we're, everything we do, we're doing it in his name, on his behalf. We need to do it by the Spirit of the Lord. And it's not enough for us just to say right things about God and check off. We have to speak rightly in the Lord. We need to speak biblically. We need to speak scripturally. But we need to speak spirit-led. We need the unction of the Holy Spirit in us. And we need God to be, by His Spirit, dealing with that individual or that group of people that we're speaking to. If we're going out witnessing or whatever it may be. Amen. We have to speak. It's not enough to speak facts. We have to speak the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. We have to hear from God. We do. We have to be taught by the Spirit of God. We have to be instructed in righteousness and speak rightly, not just factually, but rightly, spirit-led, correctly in that sense. And God's provision for that is the person of the Holy Spirit. God has made a provision for that. You say, well, that's, that's beyond me. I can't do that. Well, we can by the Lord, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, Jesus said, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. Well, that's a wonderful ministry, isn't it? That's something the Holy Spirit's going to, he's going to teach you. He's going to come in my name, he'll teach you all things, bring all things to remember whatsoever I've said unto you. But when the Comforter is come, who I'll I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, and though she shall testify of me. If you're going out and witness somebody at work or at school that doesn't know Jesus, you want to tell them about the Lord, and you're so wanting them to be saved, your uncle or your aunt or your brother, and you want them to come to know Jesus, we have to share the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation, but the only one that's going to make that gospel click with them, and they see themselves, hey, I need that Savior. I need the one who died. I need the Son of God who died and rose again. I need him in my heart and life. That's speaking to me. The only one who can do that is the Holy Spirit. And he does it. He testifies of Christ. And so God didn't give some second-rate substitute when he gave the Holy Spirit. He gave the Holy Spirit. He gave him. He, he's, he's no second-rate fill-in for the Lord. Amen. He's the comforter. And so whether we're the ones ministering, so to speak, or counseling or speaking to a friend, how many, I mean, we talk to people about the Lord all the time. You know, keep your eyes on Jesus. We sign graduation cards and birthday cards, and, you know, we're given little bits of counsel and encouragement, and we should. I'm not, I do the same thing. But if it's going to have any benefit or profit, it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit, and He's willing to do that. He is able to do that. In fact, he's the only one who's able to do it. So whether we're the ones uh, instructing <clears throat> or teaching or counseling or whether we're the ones being instructed, we need the Lord. Amen. We have to, Our dependency has to be solely upon the Lord. And I just want to read this. I know you know this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
But Paul says, For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man uh, which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Which things we speak, he goes on to say, not in the words of man's wisdom, which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. Again, the dependence has to be whether I'm being counseled or taught by another person or directly by the Lord, or whether I'm the one going to speak a little tidbit into somebody's life or get up and preach a sermon. The dependency has to be upon the Lord or it's vain words, even though they might be factual and correct. We need to hear from the Lord. Amen. And so Job's plea was, teach me and I will hold my tongue. Okay, teach me. You, you show me my, my friends, and I, they were friends, but teach me and I'll hold my tongue. I'll be quiet and cause me to understand where I've erred. You know what teach me means? The teach, the word teach means to flow as water, to shoot as an arrow where you're trying to hit a mark. I need you to nail me. I need you to show me exactly. Don't just speak generalities that God's holy and man's sinful and God does right by men and that kind of thing. I've been walking rightly with God. I don't see where I've erred. Don't, he never claimed his own perfection. The Lord said that of him. Okay, but he's saying you're speaking all these words and it's like none of it's hitting the mark. None of it's hitting the mark. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that as a pastor. I don't want to do that as a friend. I don't want to do that as a, as a husband or a father or a counselor. And we want to be able to, to speak in the Lord by the Holy Ghost. Take that thing, prayerfully it's birthed by him in the first place, but take that word that is true and bring it home, so to speak. Bring it home, and that's what we need. And that word teach means to shoot as an arrow. It means to point out as by aiming the finger. So I could say, Randy, this is what you did. This is what you did. And I say, you're right, Lord. I did that. I did that. And right on top of that is going to be just turn to the Lord. Doesn't his word say that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? That's the same Holy Spirit. And I say, yes, Lord. Well, come right now, he's saying. This is the Holy Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? Here's what you did. Could be through a person. Could be through a sermon. Could be through a book, a wonderful Christian book. Here's what you did, Randy, or here's what you're doing, or here's where your thinking's wrong, or here's where you got off the path. And you say, that's right, I didn't see it. I didn't see it before. Thank you, Lord. And here's where you can return. And here's where you can be forgiven. And here's where you can be restored. It's all the same Lord. It's all the same Holy Spirit. It's all the same ministry of the Lord. And Job is actually asking for that. Teach me, friends. Teach me, and I'll hold my tongue. He says, cause me to understand where I've erred. Understand is where the same word, uh, definition of the word where we think of discernment. The, to understand means to separate, to distinguish, to discern, to know, to mark, to perceive, to be prudent, to view wisely. Help me to see it. Cause me to see it. 
caused me to know for a fact, unarguable fact, this is what I've done wrong. This is what I should have done. This is what I can do now. This is the way back to Christ. This is the way back to have my family restored. This is the way back to whatever it may be. This is how. I need to know that. Don't just preach a sermon. It, it needs to be taken up by the Holy Ghost. And we as the hearers have the responsibility. Take heed how you hear. Amen. And I as the speaker or whoever is speaking, we, need, we have the responsibility of being led by the Spirit. Sometimes we ought to be quiet. And sometimes when we speak, we need to know we are hearing from the Lord. Amen. You that are spiritual, if a brother's overtaken in a fault, this is a Christian brother. They're saved. If they're overtaken in a fault, overcome by some sin, and it's about to carry them away and sweep them out to sea, and God says, you that are spiritual, go to him and restore such a one of the spirit of meekness, considering yourselves, lest you be tempted. Well, that's the Holy Spirit, spirit of meekness, right? And so I'm prayed up, and I'm mature, and I'm going, God, this, I don't enjoy doing this, but I'm going to be used by you, by your grace. I'm going to go speak to so-and-so. Try to bring them back. Lord, I need you. And when God says, speak, you speak. And when God says, be quiet, you've said enough now. Now it's just you. Now it's just you talking. Be quiet. You know what I mean? There's times we need to learn to, all the time, to really be relying upon the Lord in the ministry of the Spirit. Cause me to know where I have erred. That simply means to know where I've gone astray, where I've sinned, okay? And by the way, discernment, that understanding is discernment to know, to perceive. Uh, that is not a feeling. That doesn't mean you get goosebumps up and down the back of your neck. Discernment is a gift of the Spirit. Uh, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It is a, dis it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So it's the Word of God by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to be bringing this to a close. I know it's a, a simple thought this morning, but don't just, it's not enough for you or me. Just counseling your friend, counseling your children, your spouse, whatever it may be. It's not enough just to say correct facts about the Lord. That goes without saying. We have to speak correctly about the Lord. When you speak about Christ or men, speak rightly. Speak according to the Word of God. Absolutely. But on top of that, we need to go to the Lord. We need to go to His Word. We need to hear from the Lord, and we need to be taught by the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need to be convinced, convicted, corrected, rebuked, uh, taught, instructed, counseled, comforted by Him. Amen? By the living Spirit of the living God. And he is not a miserable comforter. Amen. And so Paul's basically, I mean, Job is basically saying, I know these facts about God to his friends. I know. I know that. You've, you've not helped me. He said they're, you're, they're vain words. Vain is just empty and pointless. It, it, literally, you look up the, the definition of vanity or vain. It's like it, besides being uh, pointless and empty, it's like a vapor that just poof. It's just gone. It accomplished nothing. But boy, it sounded good or it looked good. And how forcible are right words, he says. But what does your arguing reprove? Their arguing didn't reprove because it was just man speaking to man. God wasn't really in the picture. But if it had been God speaking through a man, that would accomplish something. Amen. That's what we need. That's what we desire. And so I'm going to close with... Uh, a couple of more scriptures from Job. But the Bible says in Job 40, when the Lord comes and deals with uh, 
with Job, finally. I want to read this from Job 40, 1 through 4. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contended with the Almighty instruct him? So you no more of these friends anymore. The Lord's stepping on the scene. And that's one of the, mo- the things that, at least to me, sticks out most about this book. It was, it was people. It was a trial by God. Nobody really knew what was going, going on, including Job. Uh, he did not turn from the Lord. He says, I, I know that I, whom I believed, and I'm going to stand before him in that latter day and so forth. And I know my Redeemer lives. But here the Lord comes, and when he comes, it's just amazing how he sets things straight so quickly. Just quickly, all the confusion has gone. We see all kinds of deception, all kinds of things going on in the world. We can't trust the media. We can't trust the government. We can't trust this and that. And You're not sure, and you thought this for sure this was right, and you found out later they were dishonest. And All these kind of things going on. God just comes in, bam. He just sets it straight, and everybody's just speechless before him, bam. What can you say? He's holy. He's God. He's going to set it straight. I'm glad he's going to set it straight. Amen? He'll set this whole world straight one day. The Lord knows them that are his. He's able to separate the sheep from the goats and not miss one. I would mess up all. I'm glad that's not left, left up to me. Amen? But he says, Shall he that contended with the Almighty instruct him, he that reproveth God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? Do you think he's convicted now? You think Job's convicted now? His three friends for 40 chapters spoke to him, basically, and he wasn't convicted at all. And I don't think it's because he was arrogant and wouldn't receive from them. I don't think he was convinced of the, the Lord said it himself. You didn't speak rightly concerning me to my servant Job. Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. And I mean, it just... I just thank the Lord that he's able to come through and, and set things straight. And a lot of times they go a lot longer than we want them when it doesn't seem like they are set straight. But even with Job's friends, like I said, it doesn't mean God cast them off or something like that. He came to those Eliphaz and says, as for you and you two buddies, you didn't speak rightly about me or about Job. You didn't speak to him what was right. And my wrath is kindled against you. It's going to be kindled against you. So why don't you go to Job and ask him to pray for you? Because I'm going to hear his prayer. Even setting that straight, even the wrong counsel, they were, they were, they were accusing him, speaking wonderful things about God and accusing Job of things that were not true. God just let the man be tested because he wanted to test him. Sometimes we do suffer as a result of sin, like David was in his sin. Job was not suffering as a result of sin. He was going through affliction at the hand of God. Job 42, if you have your Bibles, last scripture we'll read. 5 and 6. Here's Job saying, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. He's speaking of God now. But now mine eyes see at thee. Wherefore... I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know what this is, y'all? I know this is Old Testament, but this is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was still around, okay, and would come upon people. This was a, a result of not his friends speaking to him, 
this was the glorious result and end of hearing from the Lord, really hearing from God. Oh, and when he did, you know what? He didn't even care about his trial anymore. He just saw himself as a sinner. Just saw himself as a sinner. I repent. I abhor myself. That's what he saw. None of the other stuff mattered. The trial didn't matter. There's God and there's a man. And God's holy and I'm not. And I need the Lord to show me that. I need the Lord to show me that. And he he graciously does. And he says, I'll take it from here. You come to me and be robed in the righteousness of another. Amen. Or you come and be washed in the blood of Jesus. This was a result of God speaking to the man, convincing the man, convicting the man, and it resulted in a total restoration. I mean, God restored things physically to him and and brought his friends back to him and his acquaintances came back and he was blessed with more children in the latter part of his life and more substance of camels and donkeys and all of that than he had before. So I just want to close with this thought, y'all. We need to insist upon. We can't be so lackadaisical in our walk with the Lord and say, well, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. Certain things I think he's told us he wants to do, and he wants us to lay hold. Okay? It's in that lackadaisical attitude is not going to cut it. He wants us. There's a scripture in the Old Testament. I'm just thinking about it where the Lord says, command ye me. In other words, he wants to test me, prove me. I'm like begging somebody to test me. Give your tithes and see how I won't bless you. But you won't give your tithe. So you're not going to see the blessing. I'm begging somebody test me and see if I won't pour out for you, open up the windows of heaven. Well, that's just tithing. But my point is, he wants us to lay hold. If he promised us the gift of the Holy Ghost and you're saved and not baptized in the Holy Ghost, insist upon it. Go before the Lord and ask him, God, you promised this. I'm not making it up. I didn't invent it. You don't say if, if, if you want this, you can have it simply. And if you don't want it, you don't have to have it. He told his disciples don't, not to ju- leave Jerusalem until he commanded them. Until they were endued with power, from, with power from on high. Again, we need to insist upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you've been asked to teach Sunday school, you tell the Lord, I'm not getting in that before that group of children or before this adult group in Sunday school. I'm not getting before them, Lord, until I know I've heard from you. I know I've got my parable. I know what I'm teaching on. But I'll tell you what, when I'm through studying Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and, and preparing for Sunday, I'll take this sermon and I'll offer it back to the Lord. And I say, God, you got to set it on fire or it's nothing. It's nothing. It's factual words about you. Anybody could write down scriptures and say them and tell stories and give examples from another author in another book. I need you to take it. I need you to make it and put it in my heart like fire shut up in my bones. And I need you to speak it through me. And I need you to prepare the hearts of the people. And when Reynolds teaches Sunday school class, I need you to speak to my heart. And I need you to set him on fire of the Holy Ghost. You understand what I'm saying? We have to take it and offer it to the Lord. Bring it to life, God. Breathe your life upon it. Set it on fire. Jesus said, it is the spirit that quickeneth. Chris, you can come on up. It is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh profits nothing. 
the words I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. The flesh prophets, when it comes to ministry and spiritual things, the word of God, God can use our flesh, but the flesh itself profits nothing. The words I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. Amen. And we need to insist upon that and thank the Lord. What a ministry, as I said. What a comforter. He's not a miserable comforter. He comforts. He counsels. He convicts. He instructs. He teaches. He takes Christ and lifts him up high and draws us to the Lord. Everything he's doing is good. Everything is trying to teach us and bring us along to bring us out of sin and out of ourselves and follow after Jesus. Y'all stand with me. Uh, and Chris is going to play and sing. But these altars are open just come and assist upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Ask Him. Ask the Lord to fill you. Ask the Lord to, to instruct you and teach you. Ask the Lord to teach through you when you teach and counsel and minister that it will be a work of the Holy Spirit. Even if you're raising your own children, to be able to speak into their lives rightly. Father, we come before you. We thank you. And we thank you, Jesus. You said it's necessary that I go away. And if I don't go away, the comforter will not come. But if I go away, I'll send him. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Well, Jesus, you've ascended to the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Ghost has come. And we thank you, Lord, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your ministry here this morning in our hearts and lives, and even through this message, God. But Lord, we just pray that you would forgive us. Help us to be careful not to step out in our flesh. Help us not to, help us to be careful, God, when we counsel or speak to someone to be led by the Holy Ghost. Help us to grow in that so where we really abide in, in your spirit and in your presence, God, that we re receive that living word, that fresh manna, and we counsel ourselves with it and we would counsel others as well. God, thank you that you convict us and convince us of sin, and you also show us the way to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. God, I pray you pour out your spirit upon us here in this house this morning, God. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.